Good morning. Have you ever paid off a credit card? I know that shouldn't really be like such an open-ended question. Like, have you ever seen a shooting star? Or have you ever made a half-court shot during the basketball game when they're giving you lots of money during the NBA Finals? Have you ever done that? It shouldn't be that wild of a question. Have you ever met someone who's been struck by lightning twice on the same day? That actually has happened, ironically. Crazy stuff. Have you ever paid off a credit card? Would you like to? Now, if you're watching from home, my name is Pastor Milo. If you're watching because you're looking back at this from another day, if you're sitting here, you're a guest with us this morning, you might be thinking, you're starting to go, I think that this crazy church... And I think that this crazy pastor is about to pay off and give everybody a bunch of money to pay off their credit cards. And you would be wrong. That's not what we're doing today. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 17, the passage that Pastor Brian just read. If you're joining us today, you are joining us kind of midstream, and that's okay. We want you to be here, but I want to kind of catch you up into where we've been. We're in a sermon series that we're calling To the Cross from the Gospel of Matthew. And we're tracking through the ministry of Christ quite specifically from this defining moment that we find in Matthew chapter 16. And we were there a few weeks ago called Peter's Confession, where Jesus asked his disciples, he says, what have people been saying about me? And they respond and they say, some people have been saying that you are Moses. Some people are saying that you are one of the prophets. And he turns around and he says, but you... Who do you say that I am? And from that defining moment and from that space in Scripture, from that time on, we've picked up at that moment, Jesus fixes his eyes, Luke tells us. He points his feet in the direction of Jerusalem. He is pointing his feet and walking step by step to the cross. And by doing so, as we are going to get there in just a handful of weeks, we're going to take some steps too. It's not going to be too long before it's Good Friday and it's Easter Resurrection Sunday morning. And we're going to walk that path there as well. But as we go, and as His disciples were walking with Him, there was an alignment problem. They did not understand the Messiah that they were following. And in our country and in our world and in our church, we have to argue, we have to believe that there's an alignment problem because we're not following the Jesus Christ of Scriptures. We're following something that we've come up with. He said, I'd like to follow that guy, but Jesus may have something different for us to look at. So we need to be properly pulled into alignment as well. So with that in mind, I ask you again, have you ever paid off a credit card? Paid it off in I don't ask you this question this morning to open up a conversation or or teach a lesson this morning on stewardship or financial giving, although this church does have a history of doing that. It's February, and most of you know, oh no, it's February. Are we about to get the talk? Well, it's not directly going to come out of this text, the talk. But it doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Stewardship of life, a proper prioritization of your times, your talents, and your personal treasure is always relevant, is always applicable from God's Word. It's all His. Everything that you have, everything your neighbor has, and everything that exists under the sun, the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, it's all His. 
And that point is very relevant to what we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 17. Have you ever paid off a credit card? Paid it off in full? The reason I'm asking you this question this morning is not surprisingly, it's actually really, really hard to do that. It takes some planning, it takes some strategy, it takes incredible focus to get it done, first of all. But second of all, it's hard to do because if you don't do it just right and pay it off on the correct day of the month or call the phone number that you need to call and get the right person to answer the phone, you will find that the balance that you thought that you paid off has just a few dollars left on the account. My wife and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary. So 20 years ago in December, we got married and we got all the people that would come together and 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 because travel is all uh, screwed up we're about to go on a second honeymoon we were supposed to do it a little bit earlier later in this month we're going to go and it's going to be a good time and we had to save up our money to be able to do something like this the nice thing is about your first honeymoon you don't really have to save up your money because people just give you wads of cash and if i'm remembering the timeline correctly I had a debt that I had to pay at that time and people gave us wads of cash and I had about $1,000 to pay off on a blue 1996 Ford Ranger pickup that I loved. I had purchased it before we got married and it was just hanging. Man, I love that truck and I don't have it anymore. We had to get rid of it when we started having kids. It was just the first of a long line of disappointments after having children. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I do love my kids. I don't love them enough to bring them on our second honeymoon. So I had about $1,000 to pay off. And because of our generous friends and family at our wedding, the money that they gave us, we had the cash to pay it off. And yet it became a really difficult thing to do to pay it off. Like I said, if we didn't call the right phone number, we found this out. You didn't call the right phone number the right day of the month. You paid the full balance of what you thought was the full balance. And there would still be a couple dollars, in our case, just a couple pennies that were left to be paid. And you walk away from it, and the next thing you know, a few months later, this thing starts coming back and coming back and coming back, little by little, month by month. And that balance would start to grow again on us. It's crazy. Super crazy, right? Super frustrating. I'm going to show you something from God's Word here, from Matthew chapter 17 this morning, that you should find very, very encouraging. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard some variation of this phrase, but I wonder if you've thought about it in light of today's text. Jesus paid the debt he didn't owe, and it was paid in full. Jesus paid the debt that he didn't owe, and he paid it in full. Let me explain. Matthew chapter 17, beginning verse 24. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 4. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, The collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Look at this question. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Something like that. I'm trying to get the inflection of a middle school sixth grader. It's a trap. It's a cowardly move by this tax collector. First of all, the way that it's done, that he doesn't come in and talk to Jesus. He goes to Peter. They didn't go and talk to him about the temple tax. They go and talk to Peter about the tax. They ask him off to the side. And they, and, and they didn't ask him, does your teacher pay the temple tax? That's not what it says. 
Because that's what someone would ask if they actually wanted to find out the information that supposedly they were looking for. No. They ask the question in the negative. They say, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? They put their hand on their hip. It's juvenile. And it's petty. And it's meant to be a trap. And so it was. It is. Like when I was in sixth grade, I moved to a new school. I got to the public high school. I had been in a Christian school prior to that. And someone said to me, didn't you get those shoes from Goodwill? You heard it, right? Did you feel it? Because I feel it. That snotty little voice. Did you get those shoes from Goodwill? Because they weren't asking me a question. Because if they were, like I can, this might say, here, yes, yes, I did. I got these shoes from Goodwill. Look at them. They're a nice pair of shoes. They're brown leather shoes or something that looks a little bit like leather. So they're pleather shoes is what we used to call them. But that's not what we call them anymore. Now we call them vegan leather shoes. And these are nice shoes. They have the word Kohl's in them. So that's pretty nice. I mean, some of you may not want to wear them, but I want to wear them. They're nice. They're Kohl's shoes with white soles. Kohl's with soles. They're nice shoes. Thank you for that, wherever that came from. And I got them for $3. These are nice shoes. Excuse me. So I got my $3 shoes on. And I can hear the voice still, that sixth grader, in my ear saying, didn't you get those shoes from good? I got scars, people. It was sixth grade. I got some scars. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? How does Peter respond? He says, well, yes. Yes, my teacher pays the tax. Now here it's appropriate and a little bit of a side to take a look at the beauty that is Scripture. When you have your Bible in front of you, it is 66 books in this handheld library coming from 44 approximately different authors that have written all that we have in our hands. Over 1,500 years it is written, and yet it also has one constant melodic line that runs through all of Scripture, and it is literally the voice of God speaking the storyline all the way through Scripture. Authors and theologians call that being God-breathed, that the authors are able to write, but they have this voice of the human author, and they have God's voice speaking through them. And here we see the specific example of this, where you see the fingerprints, you see the DNA a little bit of the human author here. Why do we say that? Why do we point to that? Because Matthew was a tax collector. Do you remember that? Before coming to become a disciple of Jesus. His last day on the job is recorded in all of the Gospels, all the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When Jesus says to Matthew or Levi, he says, come and follow me, he closes up shop. He leaves the toll booth. He shuts the door. He walks away. It is a very much a Jerry Maguire moment. And he says, see ya. I'm out. Who's coming with me? I'm with you. And he leaves. But just like you have your H&R Block guy working your way through your taxes and helping you through, Matthew pinpoints which taxes need to be paid and which ones are not. 
leaning on his skills here as a former tax collector, Matthew qualifies the verse 24 word that says taxes. He qualifies it. It says what? The temple tax. So what that clarification means, what that qualification means, that this is not a Roman tax. This is not a governmental tax. It is not governmental overreach. It's actually something quite different. This tax is being imposed by the temple, by the Jews. And it's a minimal fee. It's charged annually in most cases. And specifically because Jesus and Peter, they're believed to, to live in this area of Caesarea, or excuse me, of Capernaum. Upon returning to town, it would have been customary for them to pay their annual dues, pay their annual taxes, which not uh, believed to have been more than 10 or $15, a very small amount. This is the temple tax. This tax started under Moses in the book of Exodus as a way to pay for the equipment that was going to be needed in the tabernacle as they were bringing the parts of the tabernacle together. It was reinstated by Nehemiah when Nehemiah is building the walls and he is restoring the temple to its original beauty. He wants to maintain and he wants to care for the temple. One author, Matthew Henry, points out that there are many rabbis during this time frame who would claim exemption because they were teaching and preaching and leading people through the scriptures. And so they would be exempt from this temple tax. Even further, that most rabbis would make it a point of public knowledge that they had no intention of paying that tax whatsoever. So when the tax collector would approach them, they'd make a big stink about it. No, I will not be paying the tax fine, sir. I am a rabbi. So the tone and the question, the personal slight here that is happening against Jesus by the tax collector is the implication that Jesus lacked the proper credentials to get an exemption from the temple tax, that he was less than in some way a true rabbi. Which leads us to the second question in the text. Here we continue on, verse 25b. When Jesus came into the house, excuse me, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From who do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. So let's review. The first question from the text was this. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Here's the second question. Does the king's son pay taxes? Does the king's son pay taxes? Peter is returning to the home where Jesus and the others are staying. He might be kicking sand a little bit along the way because although he immediately responded with boldness to this tax collector, this pain in the side, he has his direct statements to the tax guy, his own thoughts may not have been as bold and direct. The tax collector might have a point. I mean, I put all of my stock and all of my trust in a rabbi who demonstrates a full knowledge of God's holy scriptures. But why doesn't he have any of the credentials that the other rabbis seem to have? Why didn't he study at Zephaniah's Theological Institute? My guy just has a community college degree in carpentry. This is my rabbi? Jesus sees Peter coming through the door and with pinpoint 
accuracy that only the divine maker of the universe asks him, what do you think, Peter, on the beauty of this statement, friends, is this. He is interrupting Peter's thoughts to ask him this question. Do you remember what it was like to be in English class and you kind of doze off or you, you just kind of lose track of what's going on? All of a sudden, you kind of wake up to the fact of someone saying, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson, welcome back to class. Would you be so kind to join us here on planet Earth and tell us what you think about Edgar Allan Poe's use of the onomatopoeia in the squeaky floors? What? What is happening already in that situation? What is happening? Here's what's different about this passage. See, that teacher is snapping you back to the present, pulling you back in to say, I've got somewhere that I'm trying to go with this class, forcing you to join in the class and what they are discussing at the moment. Clearly, their lesson is the most important thing for you to be paying attention to. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He joins Peter in the thoughts that he's having already because he is no ordinary teacher. He is no ordinary rabbi. He enters into Peter's mind, into his thoughts. He joins Peter's daydream. He says, what do you think, Peter? Friends, church family, guests, alarms should be going off in your head right now. When you see these words, the parallelism that Matthew is trying to bring to the front for a text that I already talked about as I was recapping the series of To the Cross. Do you remember it? It comes from Matthew chapter 16 where, where, where Jesus is talking to all the disciples. He says, what have people been saying about me? What are they doing? What are they saying? He says, some say you are Moses. Some say you are prophets. Some say that you are Elijah. And then what's the question? But what do you say? Who do you say that I am? What do you think? Peter, you've heard this. What do you think? He enters his thoughts. He joins his daydream. He knows that Peter is mulling back and forth the pros and the cons of the questions that the tax collector was asking him. The implications that Jesus, his rabbi, was somehow less than up to par with the other rabbis of the day, the other religious leaders. And he asked him, well, what do you think about that, Peter? From whom? Do the kings of the earth collect their duty and their taxes? Do they collect from their subjects or do they gather tax revenue from their own children? What do you think, Peter? The king collects taxes from their subjects, Peter responds. And Jesus tells them, that's right, because the children are what? Exempt. You see what's happened here? Jesus, like he often does, answers the question with another question. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax is the question that's being asked. And Jesus responds with the question, well, does the king's son pay taxes? Peter, who is it that people say that I am? They say that you are Moses. They say that you are Elijah. They say that you are one of the prophets. But Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. The Son of God. Peter, on this confession of faith, I will build my church. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son 
of God. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Peter, does the king's son pay taxes? Peter, does the Son of God need to pay a temple tax when the explicit use of that temple tax is to bring people together to give the tools that you need to worship because this is where the presence of God is going to reside? Peter, do you need to pay that temple tax? Peter, did you forget who you were talking to? Friends, in the best way that I know how to this morning, I want to feel like lightning is striking from heaven. I'm grabbing a hold of and getting fried here in front of you and trying to pass it on to you. Peter, did you forget who you're talking to? Which leads to the third question. The question that I'll admit is not fully written out here in the narrative, but I believe it's easily implied. Let's take a look. Verse 27. But so that we may not cause an offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So here's the third question. Do fishes pay taxes for people? Do fishes pay taxes for people? If I want to say it with that, do fishes pay taxes for people? I know that's not good grammar. I get it. But imagine what's going on in your mind if you're Peter now. Jesus has given you very specific instructions about fishing again. Again. He's done this previously. Remember when he calls Peter to join him as a disciple in ministry. Do you remember? Ahoy there! I just assume that's what he says. Ahoy! I see you're having trouble fishing. Have you tried what? Throwing the net over the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, oh! The other side. I never thought about the other side. Similar thing will happen later. After he's denied Christ three times. He says, I'm going fishing. And he takes the disciples with him. He's out there all night not catching anything again. And he hears this voice from the shore. Oh, hi there. I see you're not catching anything. Have you tried throwing your net over the other side? And he turns and says, it's him. It's Jesus. And here he is again. Jesus is teaching him something, requiring a commercial fisherman to bait a hook and throw it in the lake, in the water to try to catch a fish. When he knows, he understands, he practices fishing with a net and it'll produce a bigger take. Even in some crazy scenario that there is a fish in that lake somewhere who has gone down and swallowed and picked up off the bottom of the ocean floor or the lake floor that has picked up this coin, the ludicrous idea that that has happened, then at least I want to catch 10 fish or 50 fish or 100 fish and then be able to go through the fish and find the one in the 100 that has it in its belly but no I'm going to throw one line with one hook into the water and catch the one fish that's swimming around with a coin in its belly if that were to happen I would have to be able to do that this is ludicrous and Peter must have sat on the shore for hours and hours I highly doubt, given the track record of what we've seen in the Gospels, the way that Jesus teaches Peter, that it was not on the first cast that he threw it out and he immediately caught this fish. No, 
He sat there for hours, and he is thinking, what am I doing here? What is going on? Why am I here? What in the world? And he tries to throw the thing out another time. The bait falls off the hook. All the different things that we all hate about fishing, most of us. You're telling me I'm going to catch one fish and it's going to have a coin that's going to pay my taxes. And he goes through it again. What did Jesus tell me to do? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And it's what Jesus is telling him. And so he does it. And he does it again. And he does it again. And he does it again. And as he does it, those words keep rolling back through his mind. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Peter, does the Son of the King pay taxes? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Peter, do fishes pay people for taxes? Not unless... You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Peter, does the king's son pay taxes? He doesn't have to. Peter, do fishes pay people for taxes? Not unless. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. I got one. I got one. And it has a four drachma coin in its mouth. The detail that we're getting here from Matthew, friends, this is all, again, the once hated, once despised tax collector is just incredible. And this is the only gospel that we have this story in. As it comes out before us, we see that the tax in verse 24 was for how much? It was for two drachma. The fish that he catches, he catches the fish, and how much is in the mouth of the fish? There are four drachma in the fish's mouth, and he says, this will be for my tax, he says, and for yours. The fish has a four drachma coin in its mouth. And I don't think that you need to be a mathematician. Matthew's got his visor on, he's going, four drachma is actually going to be... Just enough. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. And it was paid in full. Now there would be no coming back from the tax collector and saying, well actually you still have 0.5 drachma left to cover your bill. Because it wasn't paid off in the proper time or in the top proper thing. You see Romans 5, 6 tells us, That just at the right time, when we were still powerless in our sin, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When Jesus pays the debt, the debt is paid in full. It's not too late. It's never too late. It's not a credit card where you find out that you have insufficient funds to cover the thing. When Jesus pays the debt, Jesus pays the debt in full. My credit card company updated my card this year, and I don't know if you have a new one like I do, but there's something noticeably different about a new credit card. I mean, you all have one of these. Maybe you don't have one of these. I don't know, but you all have a credit card, and I'm not showing you my number because I guess this is online. I just thought of that. That could be a problem. All right, so I got a credit. I'm going to put it back in my wallet. Is that all right? 
So it's a new credit card and it has, all of you have a credit card and, and, and if you have one, you know that there's this now, there's uh, uh, inside of it, there's this computer chip that you need to have to be able to swipe your card and now it needs to do different things. So you've already seen, you've already noticed that before, but this is the first card I ever noticed. I never had one before. Maybe you've seen this before that it no longer has the numbers stamped on the front of that. You ever notice that? You ever pick up on that? Now the numbers are written on the back of the card. It no longer has those little ridged numbers that makes my wallet fatter than it should be and it kind of even imprints itself into the leather of my wallet. And you young people here in the room have no idea what those numbers are for. And I'm going to tell you this morning. Back in the day, before this thing called the internet was around, merchants at the store would have to take a carbon copy of your credit card. And to do so, when you use your credit card, they wouldn't be able to do anything with it immediately. They would have to mail the receipts in later at a later time. And they would need what's called a carbon copy of your credit card so that they would be able to do it. Rather than in real time be able to ping your bank account or ping your credit card uh, company to be able to know if there's sufficient funds to cover the purchase. So the person who's working at the counter would pull out from behind the counter this giant contraption and always, it seemed like, slam it down on the counter to let you know how much a pain in your butt you are to them as they are about to do this thing. They're about to take your credit card, put it on top of the machine, and in that machine they set it down and they take the slide and there's a slider that they ram across the top and it makes what you all know is a very distinct sound. And it sounds like this. I just spit on my Bible. Do you remember this? That sound. Something like that. That's a different sound. I'm, I'm getting my sounds mixed up. But you know what I'm trying to explain. It's distinctive. I bring it up because it's something distinct. You remember that sound. Because also in the same time period, if you had a little bank note that you still need to pay off, a title of a car that you still needed to pay off, or in my case, the toy six guns that you put on layaway for three months and now you've got to go and pay them off at Toys R Us, when you go back and you pay off the remainder of your bill, your statement, your invoice, your bill is put on the top. And what happens? There's this little thing called a rubber stamp. And that rubber stamp is taken and they slap it on, first of all, the stamp, the ink, and then they put it on top of the thing. And it also makes a very distinct sound. And it seems like to make sure that the ink would transfer back over that they pounded it three or four times. And they just go boom, 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 something like that. And now on your sheet of paper, there was a, a big stamp on the top of it that said this, paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe, and it was paid in full. Band, if you guys will come back up. Today's passage is directly about Jesus and Peter. They paid the temple tax in the little town called Capernaum. In this story, Jesus paid the debt that he didn't owe. It was not necessary for him to pay, but it was paid in full. But today's message, as you might expect, is much more far-reaching than that little town outside of Jerusalem. Today's message is actually the good news of the gospel, friends. It's the good news of the gospel, church. 
that reaches beyond the words that were written here by Matthew as, as someone who's documenting what is going on. By this previous tax collector is able to see the beauty of what's going on right here in this first century. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the 2,000 years that have passed since those words were written down. It goes beyond the good news of time and space itself. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe, and it was paid in full. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. If you are here this morning, and this Jesus that I'm talking about, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if you haven't invited him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, What is it that you've heard? What is it that you've heard? Because the tax collector had heard some things about Jesus. Maybe you've heard that he's a good teacher. Maybe you heard that he was self-absorbed and he said, I'm the only way to God. Maybe that's what you've heard about it. But just like Jesus was able to pierce the thoughts, the very thoughts of Peter. I pray that he would pierce your thoughts this morning and ask you the question, well, what is it that you think about that? What if this Jesus is who he says he is when he says, I am the way? What if he is truly the son of the king, the son of God, exempt from the debt and the payment of sin? If that's you this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are you paid in full? Do you have any idea how you're going to cover that payment? The wages of sin is death, we are told, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paid in full. If you're a believer, If you're here this morning and there's a date and a time and a place that you remember inviting Jesus Christ into your life, how many times have you been sent out in this proverbial story to pay your taxes with a bait and a hook? The timing doesn't make sense, the location doesn't make sense, and the tools don't make any sense. However, the question for you this morning is, will you be obedient? And if you will be, Are you ready to see a miracle? Or have you lost sight somehow of actually who the king is? You started looking around at the other kings, the other authorities, the other things that try to rule our lives. Did you you lose sight of who the king really is? And just like Peter, you need to be asked again and again, who is it do you think I am? Dear Lord, we come to you this morning we cast our cares on you knowing Lord that you have paid it in full this debt that none of us could pay this life that none of us can live without the strength that you give us and Lord the debt is tremendous Lord even if we live on our best day we're going to get 99.9% of the way and what do we do about that other percent Lord you've paid the debt in full And we claim that this morning. For the unbeliever, Lord, for the one who has never made that relationship, Lord, I pray there would be one here, there would be many here this morning, Lord, that would say, Jesus, 
would you pay my debt? For those who are here this morning and need to make a new commitment, Lord, that wherever you send me, I will go because I know and understand that you've paid my debt as well. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. He paid a debt he didn't owe, and it was paid in full. Amen. Amen.